Good morning, my name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at South Baton Rouge Church, and uh, really glad you're here. This morning we begin a series on the book of Exodus from the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Exodus, the second book in the Bible. If not, the words are printed there in the bulletin. This morning we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. This is God's holy word. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day and for the privilege to meet together to worship you. We thank you for setting aside one day in seven where we can come and sing praises to your name and fellowship with each other and hear from your word. I pray that you would instruct us this morning, teach us, guide us, shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Street Drive were proud to say they were perfectly normal, thank you very much, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Those are some of the first lines to books that hold a special place in our heart that we love. And at first, they seem like uh, just a simple statement, a simple phrase, but after a while, they begin to take meaning and hold a place in our consciousness. Sometimes at the beginning of things, uh, we can tune out. I bet you there are some people in this room, when they read a book, they don't even read the preface or the introduction. You just skip straight to the first chapter, don't you? Um, Sometimes when we were in school, when the teacher starts to talk about the introduction to a new unit or a new chapter, what do we do? We just kind of tune things out and we don't listen very well. This morning, we're looking at the beginning the introduction of the book of Exodus. And Exodus plays a hugely important role in the history of God's people, in the development of the Jewish religion, in the history of Israel as a nation. And Exodus is really important in establishing, even thousands of years earlier, the pathway and the need for Jesus Christ, our Savior and our blessed Redeemer. So this morning, as we begin to walk through Exodus together, we also begin a journey as a church. We begin a journey that, uh, that we probably wouldn't have written into the script. We maybe didn't think things would go this way. Maybe you are anxious about or nervous about what the next weeks and months might hold 
I know that at times I am. Maybe you've had to take a hard look at yourself in the mirror or had much needed conversations with your spouse or your family or your friends about all sorts of things. Maybe you're wrestling through what it means to love God and love people like we heard last week from Dr. Richard Pratt. Even though Exodus was written 37 years ago, 3,700 years ago, excuse me, 3,700, zero, don't forget the zeros. Um, In Exodus, we will experience with God's people deep sadness and disappointment. We'll see God working in ways that folks couldn't have imagined or ever dreamed. We'll see God working in people having deep and abiding trust in God in the face of obvious challenges. We'll see through Exodus God's holiness, God's goodness, God's law, the worship of God. We'll see huge mistakes by God's people and His covenant love and care for us, His promise-filled love and remembering and caring for His people in the midst of all of that. The book of Exodus... It, it means so much for us even today. So there we are, the introduction to the introduction of the book of Exodus. Let's get on with the introduction. Um, the first thing I want us to see together this morning is bridging the gap. That's one of the first things that we need to remember. And uh, it may be hard for, for you, for your kids, if you have young children, it's probably hard for them to imagine a lot of things about when their parents were growing up. One of the things that's hard for my kids to imagine is what it was like not having cell phones. So there was only like one phone line into your home? Um, how did you talk to people? What, what happened when they needed to get a hold of you? How did you know when it was time to come home? And my mother actually had a whistle. She would come out on the back porch and blow a whistle. And I could hear it throughout the neighborhood. And that was when I knew it was time to go home. Um, We talk about the 1990s and the 1980s like they were epics from another time. This book was written 3,700 years ago. 3,700 years ago. And one of the challenges and opportunities that we have in studying the book of Exodus is bridging the gap between then and now. And in order to do that, we have to hold a couple things in tension. We have to remember a couple things. First of all, we need to remember that people are basically the same throughout the ages. They have ups and downs, they have emotional wants and needs, they have spiritual questions and spiritual breakthroughs. Yes, there are tons of differences and distinctions, but deep down, people are people. And that allows us to empathize with and identify with and learn from the experiences of the ancient Israelites in their enslavement, in their deliverance, in their wilderness wanderings. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's not good. And so we can learn so much. One of the opportunities that we have is to see how God's Word, through the experience of these people, speaks so powerfully into our lives. So, have an open mind. Ask God to show you and teach you great things about yourself, about life, about Him, as we walk together week by week through the book of Exodus. Another thing that we need to remember is that there are 
significant cultural differences between the people of Israel in Egypt and beyond and us. It's one of the reasons we need to carefully study and think through the context, the background of what was going on through the lens of their world the best that we can. One temptation as we read a book like Exodus is simply to think, man, why'd they do it that way? Why did they do it this way? Or why did God do it that way? That's not the way I would have done it. Well, that's right. That is not the way that you would have done it or we would have done it. But we need to learn about those cultural and contextual differences so that we can appreciate God's work then and his message for us now. One of my favorite examples of this in modern times is uh, something we learned in Acapulco, Mexico. And uh, one of the cultural things for, for people in Acapulco to say yes, they shake their head, but before they shake their head, they do this. You want to go to the tienda and get a... Yes. Now, if you did that to someone here, they would think you were absolutely mad. But it's a normal part of life there. And, and we have to learn the context and the culture to help bridge the gap between ancient Egypt and God's work with his people and us today. And that's something that Woody and I will work to do week in and week out. Pray that God would open your heart and mind to these differences so you can better understand what he did then and what he's doing now so that we can bridge this gap. Second thing I want us to think about as we begin our study of Exodus is we need to remember the backstory. We have to remember the backstory. Every relationship, every story, every conversation has some sort of backstory. There are things that have already happened. There's water under the bridge. There are circumstances that led up to any situation. They all play a role in what is happening. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. It is intimately and intentionally connected to the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. In fact, one of the main purposes of Exodus chapter 1 verses 1 through 7 is to make this rock-solid connection between Genesis and Exodus. It's a continuation of what God was doing in the book of Exodus. Trimper Longman says it like this, Genesis was the preamble a very important one at that of the founding of Israel as a nation. Exodus is connected to Genesis, and it's important for us to know that. And so this morning, I want us to dive into a few aspects of the book of Genesis that help set up what God will do in Exodus. One of the first things we see from Genesis is that God is working. God is working. From the very beginning... In the garden, once sin entered the world, there was a tension that was established, that existed. Genesis 3.15 talks about this. When God says to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And at first glance, we read something like that and we think, what in the world does that mean? What is it talking about? That verse highlights the reality that since the fall, there have been two forces, two kingdoms at work in this world. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of righteousness and love and grace and mercy. 
the king and the kingdom that stands against and opposed to what is good and right and loving. You remember what it says in John chapter 10 that Satan came comes to steal and to kill and to, to destroy and this turmoil, this enmity unfolds throughout the book of Genesis. It grows in scope and magnitude in the book of Exodus even taking on a national component. And you probably know this, but that promise in Genesis 3.15 was one of the first glimpses of God's good promise that one day He will provide a Savior. He will provide redemption and deliverance where Jesus crushes the head of the serpent and Satan bruises His heel. And it's a reference to the cross and the death that Jesus died to secure our salvation. And the book of Exodus is one more chapter in the cosmic story of God's love and His redemption and His rescue in growing His kingdom against all odds in the midst of difficult circumstances in spite of challenges. That's one of the reasons why Genesis is important in understanding the book of Exodus, this backstory of two kingdoms at work. Another thing that we see from Genesis that helps us understand the book of Exodus is that God is working through His covenant promises. To truly understand Exodus and the rest of the Bible for that matter, we have to remember God's covenant promises. That our standing before God Our hope of life and forgiveness is not based on how well we do. It's not based on our track record of keeping all the rules and all the laws. Even from the beginning, even from the garden, God graciously provided life and covering for Adam and Eve after they sinned based solely on His grace, His unmerited favor toward them. In the face of God's judgment of sin and sinners in The flood, Noah received grace. Abraham was called by God and blessed by God and set up to be a blessing to the nations, not because he was awesome, not because he was perfect. It was all of grace. The same is true for Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And the Israelites in Egypt is all of grace because of God's covenant promises. There's one place in Genesis that highlights this so beautifully. It's in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham is afraid. God told him that he's going to have a, be a blessing to the nations, but... He's wondering how that's going to work out because he and his wife are both old and he doesn't have any children. How can my offspring be a blessing to the nations if I don't have any offspring? And God takes him out in the, in the nighttime and he shows him the stars of the heaven and he said, so shall your descendants be. And the Bible says that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then God showed him this wonderful picture of his love. In Genesis 15, he showed him, he showed Abram God's covenant promises. This moving and powerful picture is of a covenant cutting ceremony. And in ancient times, instead of having a notary, you know, stamp your, your, your contract, 
when, when people entered into solemn oaths and contracts, they would, they would take animals and they would slaughter those animals and they'd cut them in pieces. And both parties in that contract, they would walk through the middle of those animals that were dead. And, and the message was very clear. If I don't hold up my end of this bargain, if I break this contract, then let me be like these animals that have been cut into. And so God tells Abram to get ready, and, he, and he, he takes the animals and he cuts them up. And then when it comes time to establish his covenant, Abram goes into a deep sleep. And God reminds him of his promises, and then God himself walks between the animals. Abram watches. And the message is so powerful. God was promising then, whatever it takes, I will fulfill the covenant promises of my love and grace to you. If you break this this promise, I'll take the punishment. If you don't live up to your terms, I will live up to the terms of this promise and this covenant. And we see those covenant promises from Genesis 15 blossom and unfold deeply and beautifully throughout the book of Exodus. And we see them ultimately fulfilled on the cross when Jesus laid down his life for us because he lived a perfect life in our place and he died a sacrificial death that we deserve. And that's the heart of God's love and his promises. That's what his covenant promises are about. And they unfold. They begin in Genesis and they unfold in Exodus and they find the fulfillment in Jesus. The last thing about the backstory that I want us to see is that God is working through his covenant promises even in hard times. It's hard to believe and see God is working when things seem bad. One of the ways we see this is the fact that the slavery that the Egyptians uh, endured was actually part of God's big picture plan. It was mentioned in Genesis chapter 15. God knew it. And even in the face of oppression and challenges, Exodus 1 verse 7 says that God's people were fruitful, they multiplied, they grew exceedingly strong, and the land was filled with them. These are all statements that remind us of God's covenant promises to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham. God is still working. Even through the veil of tears and anger and sadness and disappointment and our dreams not coming true, God is still working now. In and among us. Another example from the book of Genesis that sets itself up for Exodus is the life of Joseph. God is working through his covenant promises even in hard times. And we see that through the life of a man named Joseph. Jacob's 11th son. He was loved by his father and hated by his brothers. And in one of the dirtiest moves of all time... His brothers sold him into slavery and told their dad that he'd been killed. 
And you remember Joseph spent time in slavery. He spent time in prison. When things started to look up for him, he was forgotten. He was unjustly accused of sin. He went through the ringer and God was faithfully with him every step of the way. And he was taken to Egypt and he became an advisor to Pharaoh, a very good one at that. And by God's power, he was able to interpret dreams and and he, he knew that a famine was coming, so he helped the Egyptians plan for that famine. And in God's wisdom, he saved not only the Egyptians, but his own family came to Egypt to find food. And he saved them and he was reconciled to them by God's grace. God was working. And even Joseph said to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. That's the backdrop. That's the back story. And then we read in Exodus 1 that Joseph died and his brothers died. And it sets the stage for this next chapter in God's story. You know that God is still working through His covenant promises in hard times. What are the situations in your life when you're tempted to think, you know what, it's never going to get any better? What are the situations in your life where you're tempted to think, I'm out? I can't do it anymore. Trust in God. Wait for Him. Believe that He can work and He will work and He is working. And it may not be on our timetable and it may not be in the way that we want or expect, but God is working even in hard times. That's the backstory of Exodus. And we'll see that that glorious theme unfold, God's covenant love displayed and shown to his people and to us through the book of Exodus. The last thing I want us to think about this morning is the trailer. I'm not talking about the place where uh, actors get ready for the scene or the mobile domicile that we're all familiar with. I want to end our introduction this morning by looking at a movie trailer of sorts. And no, we're not going to cue the video. Um, I want us to walk through some of the highlights of the book of Exodus. To whet your appetite for what we'll be exploring and celebrating about God's great love. So imagine this breathtaking panoramic scene and the deep moving robust music and the movie voice guy and uh, think about this Exodus is a book about oppression and deliverance about God's love and mercy and his holy and righteous character It's it's a book about God's perfect law it's an early history of his people it's a story about trusting God when it seems like God has forgotten you Exodus is about seeing God act on behalf of his people, about God doing amazing, awesome, incredible things, not just for others, but for folks like us. Exodus is a book that helps us learn how to love and trust and follow God and his provision for our lives after 
He's done amazing and awesome things. What does it mean to serve God when we come down from the mountain? When we come away from the glory and the wonder has worn off? How can we learn to serve and love and obey God in the mundane, difficult details of our day-to-day lives? Exodus reminds us what happens when God's people make bad decisions. When we totally, royally mess up. Literally in the face of, in the shadow of God's presence and mercy and grace. Exodus reminds us of God's consequences and his radical forgiveness. Exodus shows us the law of God. Something that's often been mocked and downplayed inside and outside the church. Exodus shows us that the purpose of God's law is not as a pathway or a guidebook for our acceptance with God. Exodus shows us that the formula has never been, obey me, then I'll love you. No, it's, it's I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, here is my law. Obedience and allegiance to God flow from His loving and gracious acceptance of us. That's what we know. And it's fully expressed in the Gospel. Paul said it like this, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight, but through faith in Christ. Exodus gives us a blueprint for the tabernacle, where we see God's plan and dance of how He relates to us. One of the things about that tabernacle that's so powerful and beautiful is that God desires to live right in the midst of his people. You know that? Right in the middle. That's where he wants to be. At the center of our lives in relationship with us. God cares and loves for us, loves us, and we can live with Him in a loving relationship because He atones for our sins and He's made a way of approach possible by His grace. So there we have it, an introduction to the book of Exodus, bridging the gap, remembering the backstory, and seeing a trailer for this amazing book. Where does that take us? Where does it lead us? In some sense, you could say that the whole book of Exodus is like a neon flashing sign pointing us to God. Pointing us to something incredible and amazing. The compassion of God. His covenant love. Him identifying with His people. Him defeating His enemies. Him delivering and saving through His mighty and outstretched arm. His provision for His people. Him interceding for us. And living among us. Having grace when we make mistakes. And all of those things. They point to God. And they point specifically to Jesus Christ. Exodus is a book about the gospel. Exodus is a book about God's incredible, amazing love. Jesus Christ, who being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of a cross. Paul reminds us that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. 
He kept the law perfectly when we couldn't, when we didn't. So now He stands in our place. He stands in the great assembly of heaven. And Hebrews reminds us that He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. John tells us in chapter 1 of his gospel that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what the word dwelt really means? What, what the root of it is? He tabernacled among us. Jesus came to dwell with His people in the flesh. His desire was to be with us, among us. And He came to live with us and care for us and lay down His life for us. And even when He ascended into heaven, He said, it's better for me to go away because I'll send the Spirit. And God is among His people. When we think about Exodus, when we think about Moses, we should think about Jesus Christ. It's one of the the reasons that one of the triumph songs from Revelation talks about Moses and Jesus together. In Revelation chapter 15, John says, I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Listen. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? You alone are holy. The nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. They sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. May that be what we do these next months. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this part of your word that uh, introduces to us uh, so many aspects of your nature, your character, your love, your grace. Um, Help us, Father, in the next weeks and months to learn to be transformed into the image of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.